Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome warriors. Tonight, our selection is from Brave Men and Women, Their Struggles, Failures and Triumphs by Osgood E. Fuller. Tonight we will be going through one of the highlighted tales in the book regarding a not-so-well-known story about a great historic figure, Harold, the last Saxon king of England. But before we dive into Harold's story, it's worth mentioning the editor's preface and explanation for why the author wrote the book in the first place and included the stories that he did. Let's take a look. Struggle, failure, triumph. While triumph is the thing sought, struggle has its joy, and failure is not without its uses. It is not the goal, says Jean-Paul, but the course which makes us happy. The law of life is what a great orator affirmed, of action, action, action. As soon as one point is gained, another and another present itself. It is a mistake, says Samuel Smiles, to suppose that men succeed through success. They much rather oftener succeed through failure. Even when one turns to a new course, how many failures, as a rule, mark the way to triumph and brand into life, as with a hot iron, the lessons of defeat? The brave man or brave woman is one who looks life in the eye and says, God helping me, I am going to realize the best possibilities of my nature by calling into action the beneficent laws which govern and determine the development of each individual member of the human race. And the failures of such a person are the jewels of triumph, that triumph which is certain in the sight of heaven, if not in the eyes of men. Brave Men and Women, the title of this volume, is used in a double sense as referring to not only those whose words and deeds are here recorded or cited as examples, but also to all those who read the book and are striving after the riches of character. In conclusion, his aim has simply been to form a sort of mosaic or variegated picture of the brave life the life which recognizes the divine goodness in all things, striving through good rapport and evil rapport, and in manifold ways which one is often unqualified to judge, to attain to the life of him who is the light of the world. Essentially, success and failures and everything in between are all part of a life well-lived 
and being willing to bravely venture out into the face of possible failure is a courageous and honorable act in and of itself. You are a warrior, so you face the challenges as they come, the trials and failures alike. The more hits you take, the better you are at moving forward, and the stronger you become on your path to being the best you. Harold Godwin, the guy who the story's about tonight, was a prince to the throne and the last of his kind. He would rule England from January 6, 1066, until his death at the Battle of Hastings against William the Conqueror. The Battle of Hastings would spell the end of Saxon rule and the beginning of a new era of Norman hegemony, which would change England and even its language forever. Even though he died in battle, he fought bravely, and as the story says, he gave his whole self to his people and met his gods with honor. Here is the story about a guy that set aside everything he wants and the only one he loves to serve his people and lead a nation. King Harold was deeply in love with his childhood sweetheart, so much so that he contemplated forsaking his kingdom to run off with her. But his duty to lead and hold his kingdom together required that he give all of himself to his people, which would include securing alliances. And so he was called to marry a noble woman for his kingdom instead of his love. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. But as you let go of the day and relish the well-deserved rest that you are due, allow yourself to draw inspiration from King Harold, his courage, his resolve, and even his failures. His story asks us this, would you be able to trade everything you love if called to serve and lead your people? Will you be true to yourself and meet your gods with honor? Allow yourself to contemplate and be inspired for your next battle as we dive into the story of a great man in history. So relax and enjoy. Harold, the last Saxon king of England. The father of Harold, the last Saxon king of England, was named Edward Godwin and was the first great English statesman. It was from him that Harold, in a great measure, inherited his vigor and power, though indeed he came altogether of a noble race, both by lineage and by character, for his mother was daughter of Canute the Great. All the English loved Harold, he was strong and generous, and a better counselor than Godwin, his father, in many ways. At first, he never sought anything for himself. But as time went on, and he found how he was obeyed and how he was beloved, how the whole country turned her eyes to him, as the fittest king when Edward the Confessor should be gone, he also took the same idea into his mind, and gave himself to rule, to teach, and to act as one who should, by and by, be king. Edward's queen, Edith, was Harold's sister. But there was another Edith, 
who influenced Harold more than anyone else in many ways. From his boyhood, he and she had played together, and they grew up, never so much as thinking that a time would come when they would be separate. The more Harold saw her, the more he felt he should ask her to be his wife and have her always with him. But there were many things which made that impossible. And then England required Harold. If he thought only of his own happiness, his country must suffer. The great nobles wished him to establish the kingdom by marrying the daughter of one of the most powerful lords. This would connect the people and the land more closely and prevent quarrels and divisions and the government required the whole of Harold's services, and the people required his watchfulness, his thought, his care, his presence. All his life, through it, he had consulted with Edith, and now, at this terrible moment, he consulted with her again. He stood before her, and in great trouble and agony of spirit, told her just how things were, scarcely daring to look at the woman he loved. For if he looked at her, England, her greatness and her deeds, all melted away, and he saw nothing but a beaming vision of a quiet, beloved home, free from the storms of the great world outside. So who is he supposed to go to for wise counsel? It's not befitting of a warrior to dump all of their problems onto their wife. But it does make sense to consult those whom you love and trust in order to wrap your head around something that's challenging. He's gone to his love and partner that was always there for him. But how can he process through this with her? I'm sure that's a feeling that many warriors have felt when all of a sudden they have to face a battle on their own and those whom they look to for counsel and guidance aren't there. His world has been rocked, maybe as much as when you lose someone you love or after a divorce where things just don't make sense and everything seems too heavy to work through. But because you are a warrior, you make it through. And in Harold's case, he was lucky enough to have fallen in love with the wise woman who loved him enough and his people enough to make a sacrifice. Let's see. But Edith too was unselfish, pure and good. So she put all thought of personal happiness away and put her hand on his shoulder and said, Never, O oh Harold, did I ever feel so proud of thee. For I, Edith, could not love thee as she doth and will till the grave clasp her, if thou didst not love England more than I. So these two words separated them. His whole energy was given to his king and country. He had no great love for the monks, but he sought out the good and noble ones, put power in their hands, and gave them his support in ruling wisely and well. The Abbey of Waltham had fallen into almost complete decay. He chose two humbly born men, renowned for their purity and benevolence in their lives, and gave to them the charge of selecting a new brotherhood there, which he largely endowed. At last, Edward, 
his father, passed quietly away. And with one accord, Harold, the beloved, was chosen king and crowned. Over the sea dwelt William, Duke of the Normans. With no careless ear did he hear that Edward was dead. Edward, dead. Edward. Why, Edward, in a moment of friendship, had promised the English throne to him, had even William asserted, left it with him. Therefore, his rage was great when he had heard that Harold was not only proclaimed and crowned king, but was ready to defend his claim by battle sooner than by yield. William was a man of power and iron will. He forced his reluctant Normans to listen to his complaint, equipped an army, and sailed for Britain. On came the queer little ships of war, nearer and nearer to England's white free cliffs, and cast anchor in Pevensey Bay. William, eager and impatient, sprang from his ship, but his foot slipping, he felt to rise again with both his hands full of earth, which he showed to his scared soldiers in triumph, crying, So do I grasp the earth of a new country. Meanwhile, Harold had gathered his forces, and they were assembled on Senlac Hill, an advantageous position. He himself was in the center, his brave brother, Gerth, to his right hand. Harold's father, as it turned out, had established a peace treaty with William the Conqueror. But Harold loved his country and his people and wanted them to prosper. He had sacrificed so much already to lead them. He wasn't about to give it up without a fight. Meanwhile, William the Conqueror was the son of Rollo, the Viking that had conquered France and become its king. He had a big name to live up to in light of his father's accomplishments. And thus, the Battle of Hastings ensued and would determine the fate of the English people for centuries. Maybe you can see where both sides of these giants of men are coming from. The pressure to live up to legendary levels of success by William. And the love, devotion, and sacrifice of Harold for his nation to prosper. With everything on the line, Harold had no choice. He wasn't going to see his people subjugated by a foreign power. Maybe you've had your back against a wall before, and the only way out is to fight. Even if you aren't sure that you'll make it, you are a warrior who will find a way to succeed or embrace a hero's death. All men must meet their gods, and because of who you are, and your courageous actions, so will you also, with honor. Let's get back to it. A general charge of the Norman foot opened the battle, which raged the whole day, a victory now leaning to the English, and now to the Normans. There was a cry that the Duke was killed. I live, he shouted, and by God's help I will yet conquer and tearing off his helmet, he rushed into the thickest of the battle and aimed right at the standard. Around that standard, the last sharp, long struggle took place. Harold, Gerth, and all the greatest who still survived met there. With his tremendous battle axe, the king did mightily slaughter. Till, looking upwards, 
As he swung with his axe with both hands, a Norman arrow pierced his eye, and he fell. Fight on, he gasped. Conceal my death. England to the rescue. One instant, he sprang to his feet, and then fell back, lifeless. One by one, the other noble guardians fell around him, till only Gerth was left. Brave chief and last man, with no thought of surrender, though all was gone and lost. Spare him, spare the brave, shouted one. But the brave heart was already pierced, and he sank beside his king and brother. So fell the last Saxon kings, and so arose the Norman race. So, warriors, Harold was rewarded, in a sense. For his honor and courage, he was spared seeing the Saxon lineage end. He was spared seeing his people subjugated and his language tarnished with weird spelling from French influence. He died a hero that wouldn't quit, with love and honor in his heart. Because you live the life of a warrior, you will meet your gods doing what you love, defending what you love, and they will honor you for a life well lived. But here's the kicker of the story. Let's take a look. Long did they search the battlefield for Harold's body, disfigured by wounds and loss of blood. But long did they seek it in vain, till a woman whose toil had never ceased burst into a sharp cry over a lifeless form. It was Edith, who with many other women had watched the battle. The body was too changed to be recognized even by its nearest friends. But beneath his heart was punctured in old Saxon letters, Edith. And just below, in characters more fresh, England. The new love he had taken when duty bade him turn from Edith, which recalls the lines of Lovelaces to Acosta. Tell me not, sweet, I am unkind, that from the nunnery of thy chaste breast and quiet mind, to war and arms I fly. True, a new mistress now I chase, the first foe of the field, and with a stronger faith embrace a sword, a horse, a shield. Yet this inconsistency is such, as you too shall adore. I could not leave thee, dear, so much loved, I not honor more. The night falls over the land, and you and your brave warriors establish the perimeter to guard against men and beasts that would otherwise seek to injure what you love and what you fight for. All that you love, your people, your future, they gather by the fire to tell stories of your heroic deeds to one another. Your family circle around, and they know they have peace because of your watchful eye and your spear and shield guarding in the distance. The laughs and songs from the distant firelight dance into the air with the smoke and fragrance of home and life as a gift to honor the gods. 
You know the perils that might approach you. You understand the possibility of death by beast or by enemy tribe. But you have courage, your mastery, and your honor, and watch ready for the fight that may come. Whatever form of death that may be lurking in the shadows that would wish to come for your people doesn't realize that you are the thing to be feared. You are the terror that stalks the enemies in the shadows. With love in your heart and decorated in honor, you are the shield and spear that guards the people. You are the warrior.